want to uh, speak from a Christmas passage the next two weeks from Luke chapter 2. We'll look at verse 1 in a moment. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. This past week, Paul and I had the privilege to be with some uh, uh, friends that we've known for many years. They were uh, uh, visiting here. We went to a, a concert with them on Thursday night. And they brought their daughter and son-in-law and their grand, their grandchild. So um, we went out to eat, and then uh, we took them down to a Tinsel Trail. We had some time before the concert at Civic Center, and uh, walked around down there. Well, their son-in-law is going to be a missionary. He's very close to finishing up his uh, deputation pre-field ministry, and so uh, I wanted to. Just spend some time with him, get to know him, ask him some questions, you know, how he's doing, his background, and so forth. And then he began to ask me some questions about ministry, and I guess he saw the gray in my hair, and he saw my haircut. How many of you like my haircut? I like it. I really don't like it as much as Paula. She's kind of getting a new look. I'm I'm getting used to it. I'm probably going to change it, so you better appreciate it while you can I'm, I'm tired of it. So, honey, just enjoy it while you can. But, uh, anyhow, you can protest to her afterwards because this is all her idea. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, so we're walking through the tinsel trail. I'm blushing. My glasses are foggy. Uh, I'm walking through the tinsel trail with this uh, gentleman, and uh, he's probably in his mid-20s. And see, he starts asking me about ministry questions and so forth. And so I answer them, you know, sincerely and um, trying to kind of pour into his life a little bit. And uh, I remember going home that night and just just enjoying the evening and then uh, thinking about my life and how that God has blessed me. And then I just thought, I didn't tell him this, I thought about the different seasons of life and the different seasons that have characterized my ministry and my my service and how that as a pastor and as a Christian too, not just as a pastor, because this is true of all of us, that there have been seasons in my life where I have had great joy of service when I have sensed God's presence in my life, when uh, the fruitfulness has just abounded. And then there have been seasons when it has been very difficult. There's been great adversity. And it's just been tough sledding. And I wish I could say that uh, there's never been a time in my life that, that I wanted to quit. But that's not true. I, I don't think it was true of Paul's life. And the reason I don't think so is Paul has instructed us many times in the Bible uh, that, that we're not to quit. And uh, you can tell by the way he says it. Uh, in fact, in Second Corinthians, you read these words so often about the emotional upheaval that he had. And rather than, for myself, rather than focusing, as we had the Lord's table today, on, on the Lord Jesus and his reward, sometimes I focus on the task. That's always dangerous. You have to focus on the task, but you have to remember why you're doing it. Because if you ever if you ever forget why you're doing it, because a task is always going to get tough sometimes, uh, and things are going to 
get arduous, and it just become a drudgery. And then after a while, the joy begins to leave. But there's always joy in serving Jesus, always joy in serving Jesus. But if you bring Jesus out of the equation, then you're just serving. And you're just working, you're just going through the emotions. And you become drained and you become discouraged. And I ask you that question this morning. Have you ever, listen, have you ever been walking in obedience and you wondered if it mattered? Well, I already know the question to that and the answer is yes. You've been doing what God told you to do. And while you were doing what God told you to do, you just wondered, God, is this making a difference? Well, here's the truth. Discouragement comes when you focus on expected results. Listen, discouragement comes when you focus on expected results. That happens in our lives, in relationships. It happens at work. When you walk into work and you say, well, this is going to happen. This, that, that's why I'm not really attracted to five-year and 10-year and 15-year plans. Now, I know some of you at work, you have to do this. But I hear people that, well, here's my 10-year plan for life. I never do it in their face. I just kind of want to go behind them and laugh. <laughs> now, I'm not being cynical. And I don't want to say, I'm, most people that say I'm just being realistic are actually cynical. But I just know what's going to happen. And you said there's nothing wrong with planning. But you better have a big buffer in there called flexibility. Because life happens. It happens in your marriage. It happens as parents. Because you have these expectations. It happens in ministry. A young pastor comes in and he has this huge vision. He's been taught in Bible college. Oh, man, you, you got to have this vision. You have this, this great vision. God bless his vision. Every great man had a vision. And so you come in with this supersized vision. Nobody ever told you about brokenness. Nobody ever told you about failure, that God works through brokenness. And that's, that's his choice, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 or 29. And he's going to use those people. I've been around long enough. I've been to some, some major conferences. And, and again, I'm not cynical at all. I promise with my heart I'm not. It's just in an observation way where I've been blessed by some preachers that have done great works. And, and I'm, I'm obligated to them. But... I go to some conferences in years past, and I go through the the program of pastors, and I can say, well, he he had a blowout morally. He blew out morally. He blew out morally. He blew out morally. He committed suicide. He had financial improprieties. He blew out morally. He took his life. But they all had they were they all had big churches. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a big church. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that, that sometimes when you start, you have this expectation. And then sometimes if you realize the expectation, it's not what you realize. Or you never realize the expectation. Now, I want to give you a statement. I want you to write it down. It's not original with me, but this, this 
statement has helped me, and this is what I want to talk to you about this week and next week, and I'm going to hang some truths around this statement. Here it is. Obey God and leave all the results to Him. Obey God and leave all the results to Him. That's huge. And we're going to see that this morning, and Lord willing, next week as I finish this message, because we took some time this morning. I'm just going to give you one idea out of that statement. Obey God and leave all the results to Him. The results are not mine to give. You read John chapter 15. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. And He said, The fruit comes from me. He said, now, You do have a responsibility. It's like I've told you before, Adrian Rogers said, Living for Jesus is not your responsibility, but it's your response to His ability. You have a responsibility to respond, but it's to abide in the vine. It's His response to bring the fruit. It's His response to, to bring fruit to your ministry, to bring the fruit of the Spirit in your life, inner and outer. Now, I want us to look at the passage here, and then I'm going to just look at a few verses here and give you a, a truth that will, that will help you. In Luke chapter 2, look at verse 1, the birth of Jesus here. Luke 2, 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, there's three principles that I want to bring out of here. I just want to give you one this morning because of time. Now, here's the big idea. Obey God. Leave all the results to Him. That is, that is hugely freeing. My task is obedience. My task is abiding. My task is following. You know, did you know that God... I didn't call you to be fishers of men. He called you to follow. follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. You see, that's the, my task is to follow him. As I follow him, he will bring opportunities into my way. I have responsibilities. But my first responsibility is to follow him. That was what our, the Lord's table is about. It's to know him. It's to love him. It's to appreciate him. The church ever loses her, her first love for Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that the, that, that church, uh, that candlestick, the Bible says it will be, it'll be gone. Because the purpose of the church is established as a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of that church are put there, not as an institution, but to love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. And here's, as, as I talk to you on this subject, because this will help you, God is working in your life. God is working in your life. Number one, and, and this is what I want to give you this morning around this idea of obeying the Lord and leaving the results to Him. God is always working even when you cannot see it. 
God is always working even when you cannot see it. Now, we read the first seven verses here in Luke 2. What's interesting in this passage is God's name is not even mentioned. Now, when you read in verse 7, it reads about she shall bring forth her firstborn son. That's deity. That's the Lord Jesus. He's the Son of God, God the Son. In that sense, God is mentioned. But God the Father is not mentioned. In that sense, God the Father is not mentioned, but He sure is working in this passage. You know, one of the greatest books in the Bible where God is, is overseeing things and putting things together in providence is the book of Esther. Did you know there's only one book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned? It's the book of Esther. God's name is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. Not one time. But God's fingerprints, His presence, His actions are all over the book of Esther. All over it. Now, when you read in the opening section here, it talks about a tax, a census that, that a human authority has called to bring Joseph and Mary to, to Bethlehem. And so what appears that is bringing them to Bethlehem is this human authority. But this human authority is not the one that is calling them to Bethlehem. It's God. But God had to get them there because of a prophecy. Now his name, is, or what we call him, even in this passage, you'll notice there in verse 1, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now that's not his name, that's his title. Caesar is emperor, or what we call a king. Augustus simply means one that is honorable. In fact, someone said as in my reading that... Uh, we get the month of August from Caesar Augustus, um, specifically. There were others that were called that before him, but because of his notoriety, one who is honorable. Uh, his real name was Gaius or Gaius, G-A-I-U-S, Gaius or Gaius Octavius. He was the grandnephew, that is the second nephew, to Julius Caesar. You know him, he was murdered. Uh, Julius Caesar took up Gaius Octavius and uh, adopted him. He loved him, they were very close, and he adopted him, made him his son. And he appointed him, before Julius Caesar was murdered, he appointed him to be the heir to his throne. And so when he was murdered, Caesar Augustus actually changed his name to Gaius Julius Caesar. And so that's why in the passage you see the name Caesar Augustus. And the Bible here talks about a tax. Every 14 years, you can read this in history. And I want you to notice, look in verse 2. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. I'm not going to do the history lesson anymore other than the fact that you can read these names. In fact, I was reading yesterday and even this morning. Uh, you can read these names, and they're listed in history. The Bible is not a history book, but when it speaks about history, the Bible is accurate. And so this tax, every 14 years, they took a, a tax that was for political, military, and financial purposes. And you had to go back to your hometown 
because your name, your lineage was listed there. And you had to pay the tax for your occupation and your property. And just like our taxes are, they would mark your name out. Now, they, uh, uh, Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, but he had to go back to Bethlehem because he was related to David. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, I remember when I was in Israel, we went to Nazareth and uh, walked around the, the city there. Nazareth is about 80 miles. It's right by the, the Dead Sea. It's about uh, 80 miles from, from Bethlehem. Actually, I'm sorry, Nazareth is close to the Sea of Galilee. Bethlehem's close to the Dead Sea. It's about 80 miles apart. So they had to travel. Mary was pregnant, impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit impregnated her. Now, the Bible says that the result of this human authority, Caesar Augustus' decree, was that it made Mary and Joseph leave their hometown of Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. Now, the story began in Nazareth. Look at chapter 1 and verse 26. Real quickly, I want to show you this. Chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And if you read the next verse, this is where that he told Mary that she was going to have a baby. She had never had sexual relationship before, and God created a baby in her. And so this was in Nazareth. We actually went into the, uh, uh, the house. The Bible talks about a well there, and there aren't that many wells. And there's a lot of sites in Israel you, where they take you, you say, well, I don't know if this happened. But this is one of the places where it legitimately could have happened. And I remember walking into that house where, where there, there was a well. They built some things around it. And wondering, that, you know, Mary could have stood here and received this from the angel. So Nazareth was Jesus' hometown, but his birthplace was Bethlehem. In fact, he started his ministry in Nazareth. Look at Luke chapter 4. Look over there, just two pages in verse 16. This is his first sermon, Luke 4, 16. And when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, you see that? Where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So this was his history. Nazareth was not a a very civilized place. It was where country bumpkins grew up. It was not a respected place. People... Look down on people that grew up in Nazareth. If you remember when Philip was witnessing to Nathaniel, and he told him about the Lord Jesus, in John chapter 1 and verse 46, Nathaniel said unto him, he said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Remember that? Now the reason he did that is because Nazareth, Nazarenes were, were disrespected. And so the Old Testament promised that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. So they had to get, listen, they had to get Mary and Joseph. Watch this. They had to get Mary and Joseph out of Nazareth into Bethlehem. Jesus did not grow up in Bethlehem. He was born there. 
Uh, last night, I, I went back and looked at pictures. I almost brought some and put them up for you, but I thought you might get bored. Uh, when we were in Bethlehem, and we went into that little church where they said that not it wasn't a church, and it was a little cave where they said the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And there's good possibilities, a high possibility he could have been born there. The Arabs, the Palestinians, run that. Now, my brother's been there a number of times. He goes over there on mission trips. You know what's interesting? When you go inside that church, you have to stoop to get in. Has anybody been there? Some of you have. I see Eric nodding. You see this pulpit right here? Now, I'm not exaggerating. The door is about this high and about this wide. If you can't stoop, you're not going in. You have, you have to stoop to get inside that church. Now, the church is massive. But if you want to go in there, you have to go inside that door. And it's a sign of humility to be able, and you have to go down some steps and so forth. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but his parents, his stepfather and his mother, they were from Nazareth, and he grew up in Nazareth. His ministry headquarters were in Capernaum. That's another thing. Now, so all of the events here in Luke chapter 2, the early part, were based on the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Look at this, Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, which was another name for Bethlehem, the Old Testament, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, out of thee, out of Bethlehem, a small town, which is still small, Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. He's eternal. I remember, a memory comes back, we were uh, having a meal in, uh, in Bethlehem. And they had a buffet there. And I'm not real stingy about what it is. I'll eat a lot of kind of food, but I want to know what it is. And they had a buffet there, and uh, so we were coming along. And, and, you know, you want to be respective of cultures and so forth. And I wasn't looking for barbecue, you know what I mean? Some of you get that, some of you don't. But anyhow, they serve a lot of chicken and so forth. And so the guy behind there, they had three or four guys, and, you know, they got this spoon thing. And so said, you want some of this? I said, well, what is it? He said, here. He just slapped it on there. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know why you asked me. He said, what it tastes like? I don't know. I wasn't about to touch it. I have no idea what it was. That guy asked my buddies around there, Price Harrison. I said, what is this? He said, I don't know. He slapped it on my plate too. I said, well, I am not about to find out. But the whole point, listen, God, listen, God is working in your life even when you can't see it. Even when you're not aware of it. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. God used an unsaved pagan world ruler to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary did not understand why they were going to Bethlehem. Are you listening? Obey God and leave the results to Him. Now, I've taught you this. I've taught you this a thousand times here. Don't be occupied with the destination. You'll be occupied with the journey. If you take care of the journey, the destination will take care of itself. 
If you be in the will of God today, you'll be in the will of God tomorrow. And so here's what happened is, is this unsaved ruler was was God was using him to get Joseph and Mary to the place that they were supposed to be, but they did not understand that. This was not accidental, it was providential. And Augustus had no idea that his actions had eternal implications. He was just interested in fulfilling the law and getting more money for Rome. But God was accomplishing his plan. Did you know that God used a Babylonian monarch? Some of you went through, um, we had a Old Testament survey and a New Testament survey several months ago, which was just outstanding with Bruce Wilkinson. I hope you, you did that. It was just outstanding. And uh, when he did the Old Testament, he was talking about how that uh, when Israel went over to Babylon and how that uh, the Babylonians kept them there for 70 years. And then uh, one of the rulers released them so they could come back to Jerusalem and begin to repopulate and rebuild the temple. Well, his name was Cyrus. I hope you're staying with me because some of you are saying, Preacher, why are you giving all this history? Because it's in the Bible and it has to do with what I'm preaching about today. Remember, obey God, leave the results to Him. God is working even when you can't see it. And here's what I want you to see. In Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, look at this. Ezra 1, 1 and 2. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... So God had spoken to Jeremiah and that it might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me, this man of great authority, to build him a house At Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, why did he do this? Because the word of God had been spoken by Jeremiah. Now, he didn't know why he was doing it, but God stirred him up. Because, listen, God is working on your behalf even when you can't see it. And because of that, I can obey God even when I can't see the results. And that means that my task is not to be occupied with the results. I get discouraged. I get, you know, sometimes God works in five minutes. Sometimes he works in five years. Sometimes he works in 50 years. I know stories where God has worked after people have died. And you start measuring the work of God in your life by what you can see. You're going to get discouraged every time. And so God used, God got Joseph and Mary to where they were supposed to be using an unsaved man. And if he can do that, he he can move events and circumstances in your life that you will not understand until you get to heaven. Let me show you some more about Cyrus. God calls Cyrus his shepherd. He calls him his pastor. Now, he wasn't a Christian. But he said that this ruler, one of the great rulers in the world, he said, oh, he's my shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, this is what God said, he is my shepherd. 
and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now, this is God's word. He said, He He is my shepherd. Yeah, he, he's gonna He's going to perform. He doesn't even want to, but I'm going to use him to accomplish my purposes. God not only causes him his shepherd, he calls him his anointed. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand, look at this, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. That's powerful. That's just powerful. God is working in Cyrus' heart. God says, I'm holding his hand. You know, my favorite definition for an anointing is a special touch for a special task. What Brother Tim does each week, he needs an anointing for it. He needs a special touch for a special task. You mothers, you need a special touch for a special task. You grandmothers. You fathers, whatever your task is, you need an anointing for that task. It's not just for preachers. This is not spooky. This is exceedingly practical. But God gives this anointing to you. And God says, He's my anointed. It's even used of the word Messiah. And that doesn't mean He was the Messiah. Here's what it means. is He's my chosen one for this task. I've chosen Him to accomplish this. And he didn't understand it all. But this was God's purpose for his life. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As a rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I was meditating on that this week. It doesn't say the king's feet. It says the king's heart. His mind, his emotions, his will. God speaks to our authorities. Do you believe these things? Even your disappointments are God's appointments that can work for your good. God's sovereign plan is seen in obvious ways or seen in quiet ways. But here's the problem. We see it in the obvious ways. You have a special need. God, I need $500. And He gives you... Those $500. Oh, look what God did. You're sick and God heals you. He raises you. Oh, look what God did. But what about the quiet ways where he's moving and putting pieces together and you can't see those things? Those are the things that you have to take by faith. Listen to me. Listen. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 the Bible says that the, Mary, that the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. Now, that was shocking to her. She was a young teenager. Now, that was a big thing, and she accepted that. She was a godly girl. In Matthew chapter 2, Joseph had a dream, and an angel said, you need to go to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill you. Angels came to Mary. Angels came to Joseph. Those were very memorable. Man, God spoke to me. He sent an angel. Well, this is no less God working when he works through Caesar Augustus. And he never, listen, he never told Joseph and Mary. 
Not one time that I'm going to position you in Bethlehem because I want you to be there because this is where I said the Christ child must be born. They didn't know. But the prophecy had to be fulfilled. So God got them there through unnoticed ways. He, he, he was moving and he accomplished his purposes. He's doing that. He did that this week for me. He did that for you. But the thing is, is because we don't see it, we're not grateful. Because we don't see it, we think God's abandoned us. Obey God, leave the results to him. God is working in your life even when you cannot see it. Now, God is sovereign. Listen carefully to me. God is sovereign. That means he's able to do anything. He's over everything. And he doesn't need my input. But God's sovereignty is not fatalism. That doesn't mean, well, I I have no responsibilities. No, it means that he works in and through every thing for for my good and for his glory. And it means that I have to submit to him. Let me give you some verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 33, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, listen, God doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Watch this. And none can stay or withhold his hand. Or saying to him, what doest thou? Nobody can do that. My sister with her cancer, God didn't give her cancer. God didn't do that. But God can take it away, but he hasn't. But she understands this, and we understand this, that God has purposes. And he has reasons for things. And I don't need to know those things right now. I've often said that I don't need to know the answer as long as I know the one that knows the answer. And I'll find those things out later. Psalm 115 in verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 135 in verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth And in the seas and all deep places, nothing can thwart the purposes of God. Nothing. Nothing. And if God is in it for His glory and for your good, nothing can thwart His purposes for you. Nothing. Nothing. God is not against you. He's for you. Obey God. And leave the results to Him. And here's what this means. It it means that God is working for you even when you can't see it. Because when we can't see it, we get discouraged. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, for there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, watch this, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I find great comfort in that, that he's, he cannot be manipulated. He is able. He can do what he wants to do. One other text here in 
Psalm 33, verses 9 through 11, For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of His heart to all generations. Listen, friend, what seems insignificant to you can be a life-changing moment. Some of you encountered those this last week or this month. A person you met, a place you went, a book you read, a verse you memorized. And that's why we must be attentive. And even though we, we, we will not lend the weight to it until we get to eternity, but we must realize that, that God is working. And it's my job to obey. It's not my job to get all the consequences. The results of benefits. Look in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. I love this. I love this. Look at the first, was it first five verses? And it came to pass. And it came to pass. It came to pass. You see, on the surface, to Mary and Joseph, it appeared to be very common and inconsequential. Well, we got to go pay this stupid tax. We got to travel 80 miles. You're pregnant. You can do the math on that according to how long it took them to travel, walking, maybe riding with her a little bit. Oh, but from heaven's perspective, it had huge significance. For them, they were just experiencing life. And, and for me and you, sometimes it's just a very common event, but God is orchestrating things. The people you meet, the people you get to know, He's opening doors from you. God can open a door that no man can shut. He can shut a door that no man can open. You, we must be attentive. We, we've got to live by faith because if you, if you don't believe what I'm teaching this morning, you're, you're just going to quit. It is not my job to understand everything that God is doing. It's my job to obey and leave the consequences to Him. That's my job. You see, God is working in my life, even, even when I can't see anything good out of it. We had these miscarriages. We had seven kids and seven miscarriages. And I wouldn't have chosen one of them. Miscarriages. The first child was a miscarriage, the last one in, in between. But my good father, my precious father, my heavenly father, said, Son, if you're going to be a good shepherd, and you're going to be a good pastor. And your wife is going to help people. You're going to need to suffer a little bit. Now who's going to choose? Who's going to flip that switch and says, I want that box. Let me have some of that. I'm going to sign up for that. I mean, they're, they're with the Lord. We have seven that we haven't met yet. They're okay. But all of the stuff you go through to get there. 
So rather than fighting that, even though there's pain and there's adversity, but God's sovereignty not only implies His power, listen to me, it not only implies His power, where He's able to do something, it also implies His wisdom. I think you need some of this. I think you need some failure. I think you need some of this. Because this will help you. will be good for you. When I was uh, a sophomore in college, I was starting out. And I had a meeting with the president. He was a vice president of the college at the time. Buddy Nichols. He worked also worked at the International Board of Jewish Missions, IBJM. It was across the street from the church, across a very busy road. I finally got over there, and and uh, they had a in the foyer in the office area. They had a long desk area, <clears throat> reception area, like a hotel, long desk. Went in there and gave my name. I was waiting for Doctor Nichols. The door opened behind me by the road, big glass area there in the reception area. And I turned around with my friend Bobby Lockwood. Bobby's in heaven now. He died a number of years ago when he was 50 years old from a heart attack. He walked in and a little short fella, he preached here one time. I hugged him and he said, hey, he said, I've been wanting to call you. This is 1977. There's no cell phones or anything. He said, my brother Tommy just started working at a chapel in July. Up in Dayton, Tennessee. I never heard of Dayton, Tennessee. And he needs somebody to play the piano. And he needs somebody to help with the teenagers. Would you think about helping him? I didn't want to help Tommy. I knew who Tommy was, but I didn't know him. But I knew Bobby really well. I owed Bobby a lot. I said, I'll go, I'll go one Sunday because I, I knew Bobby. I would help, I'd do anything for Bobby. Next Sunday at 8.15, I was listening to Layman Strauss on the radio teaching. Went down, got in the car with Tommy and Sherry. We drove up to Dayton. Played the piano a little bit. It was out of tune. There were some keys missing. <laughs> then they didn't even have enough rooms for Sunday schools. A little tiny, tiny church. And this building here, because there's room up there and down, we have more rooms in this building than that little church did. And certainly in here, if you divide the square footage up, there's about twice as much room in this facility as that little church. And uh, we went outside. We had our Sunday school class outside in the little alcove, little corner of the church. There were three, three kids one of them was Paula. 
She was a senior in high school. That was in September of 1977. We got married in June 1979. God gave me my wife in the will of God. I wasn't even looking to be married. I'm not a good man. Obey God. Just leave the consequences to Him. God is working in your life. Even when you can't see it. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. That means parcel, like a piece of pie, like a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle. You got one piece of the puzzle. But then in heaven shall I know even as I also am known. The word darkly there, we get the word enigma from it. It means I can't see clearly now. The mirror is a little dark. It's not clear. It's an enigma. It's a puzzle. It's obscure. It doesn't make sense. A lot of things happen. It doesn't make sense. It's puzzling. I just have one piece of the puzzle. It's not my job to put the puzzle together. It's my job to take that piece and just do with whatever God tells me to do with it. God is always working, even when you can't see it. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. This morning, this story that I've told you is about God working in the lives of Joseph and Mary to bring Jesus into the world. So that he could be your savior. And if you're here and you have never trusted him. You've never been born again. You didn't come here by accident. God brought you here so you could hear that God loves you. And he wants to save you and he wants to deliver you from your sins. And give you a new life. And forgive you and cleanse your heart. Take you to heaven when you die and give you a good life now. If you'll trust him and take him for your own. Let us bow our heads together as we close.